It's refreshment time, folks. After returns and videotapes. Are either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. Don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles. Each for rent at just $2 the first night and only... I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Tonight on Six Ed World. Okay, one channels 18, 24, 63, 10987, and weather channel. Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast with your hosts Justin and Alec. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Frog Brothers Podcast. Frog Brothers I'm Podcast. Justin and my co-host. I'm Alec. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. What are you? I'm Man Bat. A Man Bat. Man yeah. Bat's a good villain. That's that's definitely some cool stuff there. The yeah, Man yeah. Bat. Man Bat. I remember the animated series doing that too. Good stuff. Well, yeah, that's all I remember doing the Man Bat is the animated series. Yeah, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in other stuff, though, like other animated series and comics. Not that I've read, but, like, I've seen it. Yeah, but no filmmakers actually had the gumption to make that happen as a villain in the movie. Right. Which would be cool. I think we're at a point in time where we could pull something off like that these days. I'm pretty much at a point where we need to cover and talk about Spider-Man, the animated, animated series from the 90s, because... Uh, I feel like there's a bunch of good stuff in there that should be turned into movies. I love seeing Spider-Man with the X-Men, with Morbius, Blade, Craven the Hunter needs to fucking happen. Yeah, well, that was talked about and rumored for the uh, these or the uh, Sony's Spider-Man villain universe. So, yeah, we'll see what happens but with that. We'll see what happens. Hey, you know what comes out this uh, Friday? What what is coming out this Friday? This coming Friday is the movie Scoob. Like, geez, Scoob, we got a new animated movie coming out. Okay, we do, Shaggy. I like animated movies. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I look yeah, forward to buy it. that. Yeah, so in preparation, and since I've got some kiddos, I uh, bought the entire Scooby-Doo Where Are You series today on iTunes, and I also bought season one of a pup named Scooby-Doo, uh, just to kind of cover the bases. That way, if they like the Scooby-Doo movie, we can watch some Scooby-Doo TV shows. Hell yeah. I got the uh, Scooby-Doo Where Are You as well as a couple of the movies. They, uh, in the late 90s, right before they made the live-action movie, they made they started making new Scooby-Doo movies again. They made uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island was the first one they did. Yeah, that's a popular one. That's like the big comeback of Scooby-Doo there, so when they started it, doing all those movies. Yeah, but eventually the movies got watered down and boring, but like the first, I don't know, four or five are at least worth watching. I have uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and the Alien Encounter one, which is either the third or fourth one. Um, but it's kind of like a Close Encounters-ish, but it's still goofy. It's goofier than the zombie one, but then I think the second one is when uh, there's uh, witches, and they're in like a fucking 
late 90s style like new metal band basically or some shit and they're goth chicks I'll have to take your word on it because I haven't seen uh, most of those. So we doing the witch's ghost or something maybe? But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you could say that Steve Jobs is in it, and I'd be like, well, I mean, maybe he was. Maybe he, maybe he gave them all iPhones before iPhones came out. Maybe J. Maybe. Edgar Hoover was in it. Maybe J. Edgar Hoover will appear and destroy us. That's possible. Anything's possible. Sweet. So uh, did you see hey, the trailer for tra- uh, Staten Island King? The King of Staten Island. Yeah, I just watched that here because you said to check it out. So it looks like a pretty heartfelt movie. Definitely think the uh, cast looks interesting. You know, I know uh, your your homeboy's in there, but he's kind of controversial for some people. Pete Davidson, some people love him, some people hate him. I think he's all right, but... I was going to say uh, that. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call him my homeboy because I think he's all right, too. I think he's hit or miss, but... When I first started seeing him on SNL, I was like, oh, this guy's pretty funny. Then, you know, everybody started yeah. comparing him to a young Adam Sandler, and I was like, I mean, I can get that. Um, but I like him overall. I mean, I don't hate him. You know, there's mostly people on SNL are usually pretty pretty funny to some degree. Whether or not they're funny on SNL is another thing, but. They're usually pretty stiff. You're more like a game show host. Well, he seems like a game show host sometimes. Yeah, he's um, pretty wacky. No. Yeah, but in this trailer though, he seemed like he was it seemed like it's like almost autobiographical to some degree about his aspirations and things like that. So um and then with Apatow directing again, I think it'll be a pretty good movie, right? I think Apatow has a way to really bring out the best in some some actors and really get a good emotional performance. Um Steve Buscemi being in the trailer and actually having been a firefighter like really intrigued me and piqued my interest. And then it looks like Bill Burr, I believe, is who that is. It's uh, the new love interest for the mom. They're trying to add some depth, and uh, I think that'll be pretty pretty interesting. So I'll definitely be checking that out, and I think that uh, comes to digital on demand on the 12th day of June. So that's right before my youngest son's birthday. I was going to ask you, do you know if Scooby-Doo is just digital on the 15th, or are they actually releasing it physical? I don't imagine they had printed it up that quick. No, I think it's um, it's twenty five bucks everywhere I've looked, but it's on demand to own. So I'll be buying it uh, on Friday. All right. Well, if you have it on something I can watch, if you buy it digital, then I'm gonna have to hit that up. Yep. If I get it digital, then you'll be able to see it in my movies anywhere. Did you see that there's a new movie starring Paul Hogan coming out? No, I didn't. Would you ex- please elaborate? Well, it's called The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee. Sweet. Who doesn't like Crocodile Dundee? That's not a knife. That's a knife. <laughs> That's actually already in the trailer. And here's the thing. I thought, oh my god, they're actually making another Crocodile Dundee movie. Because you remember, uh, like a year or two ago, that thing with Danny McBride and uh, Chris Hemsworth. That was like a fake trailer for it. Yeah, they made a fake trailer for it, and that was like an Australian tourism advertisement is what that wound up being, but everyone okay, was yeah. like freaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this is not a Crocodile Dundee movie. It's a knife movie? That is to say, it is not a movie where Paul Hogan plays Crocodile Dundee. It is a movie where Paul oh. Hogan plays Paul Hogan in a universe where people are trying to get him to make another Crocodile Dundee movie. See, I thought you were going to say... A crocodile played Crocodile Dundee, 
and that would have made a lot more sense to me. Like, can we make an animated movie where Crocodile Dundee's like an animated? You know, he just voices the uh, crocodile and then goes and is a hero. I don't know. It sounds like a sounds like a new cartoon. I'm I'm thinking here. So anyway, in this movie, uh, I watched the trailer. There is a trailer for it. I was like, shit, I didn't even heard of this, and there's a fucking trailer out. All right, well, Chevy Chase is in it, John Cleese is in it, Olivia Newton-John, and Wayne Knight. <clears throat> That's pretty intriguing cast, so I'd definitely be checking that out when it comes out. I need to check out the trailer, too. Yeah, I think I'm going to for sure give it a watch, just because why the fuck not? It'd just be funny. It looks like Paul Hogan, you know, he looks pretty good. He's really in shape, but he's old as fuck. Um, Chevy Chase looks way better than the last time I saw him. Like, he looks like he de-aged 15 years. He still looks old, but he doesn't look like uh, when I saw him in Vacation, the reboot. My God, he looked like a corpse, like a bloated corpse. And I don't mean to say that rudely. I just mean, holy shit, that didn't look like Chevy Chase to me. But now he looks like Chevy Chase. He looked pretty fucking haggard in that. So, Given that could be a bunch of makeup and whatever, but John Cleese also is kind of looking a little bloated these days in this movie. Um, he's really old now as well, but it's just cool to see him in another movie as well. Definitely. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. But every time you say, like, yeah, I'll check it out, it always reminds me of, Kevin and Home Alone, where he's like, "Yeah, I'll give it a whirl." When he's buying that frozen mac and cheese, <laughs> that by but, the way, he fucking wastes. That motherfucker does not get to eat that. That's, that's funny. One of the things about that movie that upsets me the most is he makes that warm dinner, sits down, ready to eat, and he doesn't even get to enjoy it. And to me, that's just sad. See, no, the quote I I do is from Back to the Future Two, when. Biff, old Biff, is giving young Biff the almanac, and he hands it to him, and he's trying to convince him about it, and he says, as he hands it to him, he goes, all right, I'll take a look, and then he tosses it in the back seat. Yeah, what are you looking at, butthead? All right, I'll take a look. Get the hell out of my car, old man. (laughs) Yeah. Get the hell out of my car, old man. It's make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. God damn, I love those movies. Hey, speaking of which, NECA had a bunch of photos of their toy line out for the animated series and the regular figures. I was about to say, so, yeah, I saw both of the those. The only thing that was glaringly absent for me, a musician and guitar player, is, yeah, it's cool when he's got that old 80s model guitar for young Marty, you know, that he blows the amp up with and that he auditions. Oh, yeah, but you want to see... Down. You want to see the ending performance, Marty, don't you, with that guitar? Oh, fuck yeah, that uh, Gibson. Uh-huh, those are actually made in Memphis there at the guitar plant. I imagine so. if this line does well, they'll probably do another line, and that will be one of the Martys. I imagine there will also be another Marty that's in the leather jacket with the hat and glasses. If they're really cool, they'd make that disappearing Marty, too. So he comes with the guitar... And he's in the suit for playing on the stage, but one of his hands is partially clear. <laughs> With a photo, you know, a photo attached to the mic stand. That's a must. That'd be dope. Pretty much. So, that being said, we've kind of gone off the deep end here. Uh, nothing like diving and getting in the water, unless you're scared of sharks. But 
But let's jump into episode. episode. We now return to the real Ghostbusters. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Bill Murray is the funniest man on the planet. Episode by episode. All right, so uh, episode six of the Extreme Ghostbusters is called Casting the Runes. Uh, Cold opens with um, a guy who I've nicknamed Mr. Creepy. Uh, Later, they'll reveal his name, but he's running around in this uh, museum looking for stuff. I don't know if he's looking for something specific or what, and he ends up picking up the runes. It wasn't too clear. It was just kind of like, all right, he's robbing this place. Yeah, so what happens is, you know, he goes in there... And he's, like, avoiding museum guards, and he's kind of looking around and into this set and has this lockpick set that he tries to get into there. And then he accidentally gets these ruins to drop out of the mouth of this, um, you know, statue in the museum. So then he gets that there and accidentally figures out what it is, and one of the uh, security guard gets gets removed, disappears through the portal. And then this guy just basically goes on and thinks he's awesome. And then basically you have the opening credits after that. Yeah, he says uh, after the big portal opens that that's when the fucking demon comes out. Or what looks like a demon, you know, and he grabs the guy and he says, You have been chosen. So he comes out looking like a badass. I'm like, oh shit, this devil looking motherfucker because he's got horns, he's bright red. Right. And then you realize, you're like, oh, is he a minotaur? As they pan down and you're like, no. Uh, I don't know what you call it when something's human torso and above with a snake bottom but um badass he's basically <laughs> the devil snake i don't know what his name was but let's call him <laughs> devil snake because i like that devil snake is pretty badass that'd be a dope band name that would have been a badass action figure i don't know who you're talking about because he's way cooler than the main villain which is super disappointing later on in the episode when you see the main villains this guy with an obnoxious voice and just a giant head you're like oh wait that guy's just your minion yeah, it reminds me of Quado. Yeah, from, it should have been uh, the other recall. way around. The big-headed doofus should have been the one that brought the uh, slaves to the snake devil. <laughs> anyway, yes. so one thing here, they always talk a lot about books in this series, right? So after sure. the opening, you get there and you see that Kylie's looking through a book, right? And then Slimer eats it and swallows it. And then Eduardo says a joke about, you know, the book being trash now or whatever. This is after Eduardo loses the chess to Slimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so um, they talk about this book called Galileo and the Study of Poltergeist is what Kylie's reading is that what Slimer eats. And I thought it was interesting that they had a, a book title like that. So seeing all these in-universe Book titles are stuff that you could, like, put on display at your con for your local GB group and stuff. So that's just another title to throw into the old booklets, make a book cover for, and stick on a shelf. So so then this is uh, unique because the Ghostbusters show up to the museum, and they start talking to the security guard that didn't get um, taken to the Nether Realms by the... Uh, uh, Snake Devil. Snake Devil. Snake Devil. That guy. I don't know. So they're in their street clothes, right? So they're just in plain clothes, you know. So usually they show up in uniform and everything else. But I guess since they're interviewing anybody and there's no imminent threat, they just go in there and do like casual clothes, uh, extreme Ghostbusters. So, yeah, they're investigating that while the 
Mr. Creepy is at the uh, pawn shop. And he's uh, talking to the guy, and he's like, These are antiquities, man. You gotta, you gotta buy this shit. And the guy's like, Fuck off. I'll give you like 20 bucks. And he's like, They're fucking an- antiquities, man. You gotta give me more money than that. Come on, help yeah, me he's out. He's like 10. He's like yeah. 10. <laughs> <laughs> the guy pisses him off anyway. So then he goes and like gets him to handle one, and then he sees it. Um, Snake Devil comes back and takes him. Yep. And so then that's when he realizes what those are for. Then, uh, he realizes what they're for because the monster kind of like, the guy's like, why are you taking me? Uh, I think he called, what does he call him? Rifkin? Is that his name? He's like, Rifkin is, uh, he's the one with the stones. And the Snake Devil's like, he is but the keeper of the runes. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And that's basically it, right? So he realizes it, um, and he asks about that. He says, you know, you have the power to summon, but not to be summoned. So, like, I think after that, then he realizes, like, oh, shit, I'm a badass motherfucker. Right. Um, so then they're in the, the Ecto, and they're driving. And uh, I noticed one of the badass things. I don't I don't remember it in the real Ghostbusters, but maybe I haven't just watched enough episodes, but... uh. Like the periscope style PKE meter in the Ecto. Yeah, and all that reminded me of when I saw that scene was Independence Day after they nuclear bombed the city and the military is like looking around to see if there's still sign of the uh, mothership or not the and mothership it, but the uh, planet the planet killer or the yeah. city killer or whatever you call those. Yeah, I know what you're talking about because it's even colored the same because it's anytime it's night in Extreme Ghostbusters it's always like those blue colors. Of like yeah, those blues and then then like the fluorescent like night vision green. Yeah, it was badass. Yeah, so those mobsters wind up catching um, the thief, and then basically leaves him behind. Says you know you are not the chosen one. Yeah, he he gets them summoned. He summons three of them or whatever. Gives them stones. Yeah. He's like here, I'll I'll pay you guys back with these. And then he fucking yep. shows up and takes one of them. Two of them run away. Um, later he captures them and uh yeah and so then you yeah the main villain's in there right and he says you have been summoned to be my slaves and he's got a real obnoxious kind of a voice yeah his name's khalil yeah khalil like good luck spelling that because your guess is as good as my scribble yeah i wrote k-a-l-i-l so i don't fucking know what it is but anyway then uh kylie figures out that um, it's 13 that are chosen to be sacrificed to Khalil. And she reads a, out of a book called Pagan Rituals and Ceremonies. Um, then I found it really funny when Egon asks Janine to hack, like, the FBI database and find Rifkin. Oh, yeah, I have a note of that. That was my next note there, is that, yeah, Egon asked Janine to hack the DMV website and find the crook's address. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> and then she makes a joke about, like, being a felon. <laughs> it's a Ghostbuster. You're like, get over it. Yeah, and then they're all like, no, we won't tell. And uh, Eduardo was like, no hablo inglés. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. And then, uh, yeah, they go to his, they try to go find Rifkin at his apartment. So they yeah, find it. Yeah, but meanwhile, and well, then okay, you see ahead. that Rifkin's out there walking in the street and he's trying to buy a magazine or something. And the guy on the corner on the little street sales shop pisses him off so he he pays with the token and that guy gets taken yeah he's like i don't take no canadian money 
Yep, so they find the thief at home, and he starts going out the fire escape, and they wind up chasing him down. And Eduardo catches a rune. Um, yeah, on the subway. On the subway, yeah, because he's just being a dumbass and naturally reacting, and my voice cracks, so don't mind me. I'm just going through changes in my life. Yeah, it's natural. Don't worry about it. Every young boy. Then Eduardo gets taken, and uh, he's introduced to Khalil, and he's like, uh, you're going to be my slave now, bitch. And Eduardo's like, something tells me you're not running a union shop. Oh, yeah, that cracked me up. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and then he's like, I have a special job for you, transcribing my library of pain. And he's like, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. He goes over and it's just like, obviously, a mountainous stack of books and papers with clouds and shit. Yeah. And so in this episode, they also mentioned Venkman because... Um Egon's talking about, about you know, going to catch this ghost. And he goes, as Venkman used to say, let's zap him and trap him. Yeah. And so then they figure out their plan of how they're going to keep the portal open. So they're going to summon the snake devil. And they say the theory is if they catch him there on the earth plane, that the portal will not close. So basically that's what they wind up doing is um, they get that portal open. They capture the snake demon. And then the portal's open, so they're able to go into the netherworld or nether realm, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's funny, because Egon's about to, you know, take it, and it's like this supposed to be this emotional scene. You know, he's about to take the rune so that they can get the snake devil summoned. But uh, at the last minute, Roland takes it so Egon doesn't have to. Yep, someone's got to be the hero there. Yeah. Somebody's got to go down there. <laughs> so, yeah, somebody's got to go down there. And they discover the packs don't work there and shit. Yeah, they're basically like... And even the main ghost taunts them saying, you know, like, Ah, you're in my realm. Things do what they want down here. Which is pretty cool. So they do a nice little throwback here, right? When Eduardo gets taken down into the... uh, uh, the nether realms, right? He gets assigned to, like, work in the library down there. Which is kind of ironic because they're always making jokes about whether or not he's literate, which... You know, that's, that's no joke. We, you can't make fun of a person that doesn't read. That's, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. But I digress. Let's carry on. Yeah, so, so then Garrett actually... gets chucked into the pile of Eduardo's shit. Yep. And uh, Kylie's like, all right, I'm going to try to read this bullshit while other people are getting fucked up. That's pretty chaotic for a minute there. And then she's yeah. trying to read this thing, and she can't remember the last line. But then yep. uh, obviously Eduardo must have read it or something when he was down there because he's able to finish the last line and then like, you know, yeah, Khalil just loses his shit as they are able to defeat him. Punk bitch. And then that episode wraps up super fast, nice and tidy there, right? You're like, oh, is this going to go on more? And then you're like, oh, no, we're packed in a 22 minute episode. We got to get through it. So, um, yeah. That's the thing with some of these episodes, like I'm noticing, like there's things I really like. I would definitely like to see some of these be a little bit longer, but you know, you got to get through, you got to get through on the episode. So, um, yeah, pretty neat to see though, like some good, uh, character development there. You know, you just kind of see what some of these guys are going through. Um, especially with the thief, you kind of see him have a little bit of character development, right? Which for the villain usually isn't necessarily the case. You just kind of see him 
find this accidentally stumble into power and then like how quickly it like changes him into just being a complete asshole. Yeah. So, but no, that's definitely a, definitely a fun little episode there. So hopefully you're keeping up with us. Sixth episode for them, sixth episode for us. It's easy yep. to keep track. With that being said, how do you play this thing? I'll show you, kid. All right, so this is a new segment called Coin-Operated Conversations. So we like some video games, and I've been out of the video game scene for a long time. I recently got a Nintendo Switch back in mid to late February. Hadn't played it a lot besides Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Um, One of my co-workers has been talking an awful lot about Mortal Kombat 11 and how he's spending all that time going down into the lab, creating his characters, and so saw the price on Mortal Kombat, and I was like, well, shit, I'll, I'll give that a try. So, uh, Mortal Kombat 11, man, it's it's a pretty good game. There's a lot of variety to it, right? When I first, you know, logged in and started playing, it was like, oh, a lot of unfamiliar characters, so I had to do a little bit of reading on Wikipedia and the internet to figure out what the hell happened since the last Mortal Kombat, because... To be honest with you, I think the last Mortal Kombat I watched anyone play at any level was you playing Mortal Kombat vs. DC. I, Mortal Kombat vs. DC, it was just kind of like, all right, well, at least it's another fucking Mortal Kombat game. I still have that on uh, PS3 somewhere. Okay, I was, I was thinking that was PS3, but to put me out of date before that, I, I skipped the PlayStation It was 2008. Yeah. I skipped the... Skipped a lot of those games there, and uh, a lot of consoles. You know, the 4, I've never had a PlayStation 4 or the Xbox equivalent. So for me to get a Switch, and everyone's like, well, the new stuff's getting ready to come out. I'm like, well, this is portable. There's a lot of fun games on there. And most importantly for me, the whole reason I went with Switch was they had um, Into the Dead 2, had the Ghostbusters downloadable content. The Ghostbusters video game remastered was on there, and... I loved um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2, and since that was a Switch exclusive for the third game, I was like, well, shit, I'll have to jump in and get that, and that's basically a game in the MCU, but we're talking Mortal Kombat tonight, so first add-on character I bought was the Terminator, so it's pretty badass playing as the Terminator, and man, they've really made these games pretty interesting. The way they do little video scenes and cut scenes before every fight, and you see the Terminator come in there, and like you see them talking some shit back and forth. My Hell favorite yeah. one is uh, Terminator fighting Shao Kahn, and he goes, you know, the Terminator basically says, you know, he's there to destroy mankind, and you know that's what the future is. And Shao Kahn's like, oh, tell me more. Like he's like super interested in it. So that's funny. But there, yeah, there's some interesting characters in there. Lots of stuffs changed. So. You have a story mode for the game, which you kind of go through and play along, and you get a lot of the videos and all that. You have what they're calling classic towers now, so you you know fight up the tower for your battles is excellent stuff. And then you have some um, time towers that kind of change and rotate through. And then you also have this thing called the crypt, where you can go in and spend currency and things you earn in the game to unlock character art 
unlock uh, secondary outfits and different things like that. So yeah, the crypt has been there since um, Deadly Alliance on PS2. Oh no shit! Yeah. Wow, that just shows you how long I've been disconnected from there. So yeah, they've the, uh, the t- classic tower has pretty much been that way in those games as well. Like they've been story mode since then has been very similar to what they are now except when they did uh i think it was mortal kombat deception when they switched to they had a conquest mode is what they call it and it was like an open world exploration and you were a new character but you interacted with a bunch of characters and then there were separate kinds of fights armageddon kind of had a very similar style world but it wasn't quite open world it was more like uh track but it still felt pretty similar, so. Yeah, and from what I gathered, a lot of that came out after that Sub-Zero game, right? And I that was one of the... I did play that game because Sub-Zero is always, you know, a favorite character. Yeah, Mythologies. You know, yep, Sub-Zero Mythologies. It was pretty cool. So I remember playing that, you know, your side scroll, but you still had some of the moves and things like that. So definitely enjoyed that game and kind of see what they did with it. Um, yeah, don't ever try to play re- that game as an adult. There's a... Uh, yeah. Cinemassacre video on it. I think it's Angry Video Game Nerd, but he uh, he flips out on it because he talks about it like all the Mortal Kombat games and how some of those weird side ones, like, you always wanted to play them as a kid and you always thought they were dope. But he's like, man, they're fucking terrible. Yeah, they're not great, um, like, when you look back at it. But what I was impressed with is having not played, you know, Mortal Kombat in so long, just seeing, like, how much depth the game had to it with all the ways, you know, you say the crypt's been there for a while, but for me, that's new. So, right. Um, just seeing like how there's so much depth to it and right. And to get all the unlockable character art, character costumes, all those upgrades and everything else. Yeah. You've some got of my to do, favorite stuff is the extra costumes. Yeah. You've got to go through and do it. Like, you know, I think who was it like Scorpion or Sub-Zero had like 36 different face masks you could win like over. And that's separate from his normal, like body costume. Right. Like, the Terminator has different shotguns you can unlock and he has different sunglasses you can unlock. And then he's got a bunch of different outfits, which a lot of those are just different colors of the same outfit as far as jackets and stuff go. But he's got a pretty cool one where it almost looks like in T2 where he cuts off uh, the flesh to show the skeleton hand. Oh, so, nice. Some, some interesting stuff in there. Definitely enjoying the gameplay. It's, it's pretty, pretty challenging. A lot of new stuff to learn, right? Cause you know, I was trying to go my old, old strategy there and like do some of that I was like yeah that wasn't really working there's some tutorials on there so looking forward to actually getting decent at this game so i can start playing online or maybe playing and having some friends over once uh things start being a little more normal and uh being allowed to interact with humans again in so person. you know they more after mortal kombat versus dc they made uh the what are the dc universe like um Injustice games, I think is what they're called. They're like DC fighting games, essentially. Yeah, it's basically the Mortal Kombat. Yeah, made by the same people, right? Yeah. So, what they, I, I've been wanting them to do since they have been, it's like the last three Mortal Kombat games they've put downloadable characters in. In Mortal Kombat Nine, Freddy Krueger was one. You know, Jason was in Mortal Kombat Ten, and Leatherface, I think. Maybe he's in the new one. I'm not sure, but. But I wish they would just do a horror character fighting game like that. Because they oh, clearly yeah. can get the license to them all. So somebody fucking put that together where that's what you're doing is just 
picking all these kind of people. I mean, you could literally have Chucky in there, Leatherface, Leprechaun, Freddy and Jason, Pinhead, Alien, Predator, Terminator, Ash. I was going to say, don't forget Ash, yeah. Like, um, I mean, you could do yeah, more then, than just that, but that'd be dope. I would really like to see that. But, you know, it's probably just a unrealized fantasy I'll always have. Yeah, and so they got a pretty big Mortal Kombat 11 expansion coming out um, that has some additional characters coming in there. So, like, Robocop's coming in there. Um, he's actually voiced um, by... Peter Weller? Uh, yep, he's actually voiced by Peter Weller for it, So, which is pretty cool. That's dope. You know, considering that they could have been like, hey, we'll get the guy from the reboot, and everyone's like, ah, <laughs> no thanks. RoboCop's fucking solid. Uh, I love that movie. Anyway, so that's the gaming segment. What games are you guys playing, and what do you guys think of Mortal Kombat 11? Do you have any go-to characters yet? I haven't leveled any characters up enough to really have any character with their mechanics I've, I've fallen in love with yet, so... Uh, let me know what your recommendations are. So this week on Another Man's Garbage, we have, with a 9%... Critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 43% viewer score. From 1992, HBO Productions presents Mom and Dad Save the World. So we watched this movie as kids, I remember. Yep, well, we had HBO, so, you know, since it was an HBO production, supposedly it actually had a box office take, which I don't know how that works with it. It's interesting. HBO. If that like hit theaters or not, I have no idea. But I just know that HBO played it a lot. Oh yeah. So uh, starts out with extremely cheesy opening credits. Right, you're just like, uh, what in the hell is this? It's such a sign of the times. Like, right, because this is an early '90s movie, but you get some, you really get some of those mid to late '80s vibes with it. Well, yeah. There's a there's a popular belief that goes around that the actual times and trends of decades are actually like two years late so like the real 1980s is pretty much 1982 to 1991 with aesthetics i I could see that so one of the first things i noted just overall with the way things looked on this right because you open up and you see todd spango which is played by lovitz and we went to universal studios last summer when we went to ghostbusters fan fest and on the studio lot we got to see a bunch of the sets from the Jim Carrey version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> and so many of the set pieces from this movie reminded me of like what they eventually did with that. Like it's very it's like I described it as a dark Dr. Seuss inspired look. It's very B movie ish. If you ever watch a bunch of B sci fi movies, it looks like sixties like really shitty 60s sci-fi movies but a lot of those were still in black and white so some of these are like bright and poppy and colored but they still look like almost like weird cheesy tim burton-esque versions of uh 60s doctor who episodes it's fucking weird yeah 
I was I was more speaking like of the shape of a lot of the textures in the background on on the other planet here, right? What you open up to, right? You see like funny angles, things that just don't make sense as far as like a gravity perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, the way the engineering is and then you know, this movie doesn't know what it wants to be because they basically say that, you know, they've got this Death Star laser on their planet. Um and, you know, they're looking around and they're like, ah, what are we going to blow up? And basically Lovitz is, uh, Lovitz is really one of the, the best parts of this movie. Just because he's so over the top. Yeah. But he asks for this Earth woman after they see her. So they're like, well, then now they got to figure out how they're going to get her. They're like, but we're going to blow up the Earth. And they're like, well, well, wait a day. Right. And um, I noticed that the creepy twins that he's hanging out with, the redheaded twins are... From Gremlins 2. Nice. You remember that? Good catch. I uh, couldn't... Vaguely... Um, I'm pretty sure they're in other stuff, too. But I couldn't really remember what else. But I was like, man, those guys are in Gremlins 2. Because I watched it a few months ago. That's pretty cool. Good stuff there. So, we basically meet our main characters from Earth, Dick and Marge. And so, you know, they're kind of, like, going through, like, with their daughter's boyfriend and, like, showing, like, a bunch of their um, videos off. Um, and do you remember you went to the same elementary school? Did that guy that used to do all the traveling with the big slideshows, I think his name was Randy Nally or something like that, did he come through for you? I actually think we had a woman that was coming through. Okay. But a very similar well, anyway. thing, like, traveling, like, you know, she took pictures of wildlife and shit. Yeah, this guy did the same thing. So, like, just seeing, like, that old slideshow and, like, them narrating, it reminded me of that. It also reminded me of going to our great-grandparents' house as kids. And um, our grandfather's brother was, like, big into photography and, like, would put big slideshows together from all his world travels. So, it's so bizarre, like, how real-world written these people are, right? There's just so much that's, like, based in reality and, like, reminds you of people that really exist, even though you're in this ridiculously absurd movie right and um there's a couple weird things in here like i just noticed you know even the kid from terminator 2 and is in there and i don't mean edward furlong i mean the red-headed oh, kid the soulless ginger yeah yeah i, I took a <laughs> note of that too and then uh i also just wanted to say at that point i also wrote down is this space balls that i'm watching yeah it's starting like to feel it. like that there's times where it feels like it wants to be a spoof, and then there's times where it wants to do its own thing, and none of it really makes any sense. I would love to talk to the writer of this movie and, like, see what that inspired them to do this, right? And see, like, hey, where'd this idea come from? Like, what got you from point A to point B to actually getting this thing greenlit and made? Right, well, that's the thing with HBO. The HBO could have been, like, there could have just been a producer that worked there and was like, I want to see a weird movie that parodies some sci-fi about a mom and dad. And then he goes and finds a writer and is like, do this. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of weird ways something like this could have gotten made, but it is one of those things that I feel like, I don't think a writer would have come up with this on his own and been like, this is gold, we have to make this, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's tough to tell for sure. Definitely interesting. Definitely, um, definitely interesting. Definitely Walmart. Definitely, 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 definitely Kmart. Definitely Kmart. <laughs> yeah I haven't watched that movie in a long ass time but I do have it I need to well it's actually a good movie so 
You should see it. I mean, I did get the rose bushes. Yeah. So, so um, another thing, like, once they decide to capture this family, like, right, they get z- zapped up off the road and into space. And basically what looks like a family truckster, you know, they've kind of got it packed looking like it's family oh, truckster yeah. straight out of vacation, right? Vacation. I was about to say, that's, that's why I wrote down, is this Spaceballs? Because that kind of gives off the same vibe as the Winnebago flying through space. Yeah, but the absurd thing is it's like how slow it's going. You're like, uh, not to mention like how long it would actually take to get there, but this movie just casually doesn't care about the dynamics of space travel at all. Like it's merely a plot device. It doesn't matter. She's like, why don't you just have a good time? And he's like, we're billions of miles from Earth, and we have a fourth a tank of gas, and I don't know how much oil we have. <laughs> yeah, like what the hell? You mean your car's burning oil? Like, <laughs> It's one of those random things. Right. She asks him, she's like taking pictures of shit, and she's like, do you have any pictures of Saturn? When he's like giving her a smart ass. Like, why are you taking pictures? That is a good point, though. Like, that was a good line there. Like, you're like, I guess, (laughs) I guess maybe NASA does, but I don't have any of my personal photo album. Right. So when they land, they basically get out and they start talking, right? You know, and Dick, I love how they named him Dick because there's so many Dick references in this movie. Right. Um, no, he says, uh, what do we say to him? He's like, take me to your leader, I guess. Totally just like throwing out there like, eh, 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 eh right. okay. All right, so. Here. Go ahead. Yeah, get it back into here. So one of the things I love the most about this movie is the weird characters in there. Like the bulldog people actually look pretty good visually, right? They look pretty good. Like even the eyes, the way they sit in the head, I'm like, oh man, that actually looks like a bulldog. Yeah, it's pretty fucking weird. The, the fish people look like trash, though. Like, it just looks like fucking acrylic painted. Like, help you know, like, I've seen cosplay that's so much better than most of this, which is really funny to see now, because people, like, make shit that's way more incredible at home for way cheaper than they... People got right. paid to make it for the movies back in the day. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> for movies, at least. But, um... What, oh, what I thought was hilarious thing. is the dogs call each other good boy. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, good They were boy. like, good boy, good boy, good boy. Yeah, that's kind of like any time I talk to anybody at work, it's like, doctor, doctor. <laughs> and then you got the little space rat that's clearly like a Star Wars reference, right? Right, um, I wrote that down. Know, <laughs> he has Jabba's guy, but he's basically just fucking mocking Dick, <laughs> which right. is hilarious. Like, right, what's the point of this character? Nothing, just to mock him. Like, he doesn't have anything to do with, like, the overall tone of the movie. Yep. And then you find out... Um, that the actual former leader of this planet is actually in this room. Right. And uh, he's played by the guy from uh, Monty Python. Um, yeah. And it's funny because he's like, oh, reach in my pants and I'll tell you how to fix this. And then one of the lines that Dick says, he's like, I haven't been, I haven't been in space prison long enough for this. Yeah, he says, <laughs> open my pants quickly, it's urgent. But and then, then um, another line I wrote down is John Lovitz basically, you know, talking about, he's like, it's not the size of the planet, it's how you use it. Well, I think shortly after that, anyway, that's when she meets Todd. Uh, Marge does. Yep, and then they're basically going to execute Dick, so Dick gets thrown down there and finally escapes there and winds up going down into the sewer where you see the little mushroom dicks. Yeah, the mushroom monsters that are uh, yet another reference to dicks in this movie. 
Yeah, and Jake. the weird thing is, since I just watched the Super Mario Brothers movie, there's definitely some vibes in here that kind of carry over from like this the absurdity of it, right? Oh yes. I mean, some of this movie almost feels like it could be a Mario Brothers movie, or could have been in the Mario Brothers movie as well. This movie is, yeah. This movie is, like I said, dick, 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 like uh, Quentin Tarantino and fucking Reservoir Dogs going on about Madonna. Yep. So, so the mushroom dicks start turning into monsters and chasing him or whatever. And uh, at one point, she's talking, trying to get him saved or whatever. She uh, She's trying to get him saved from Spengo. Uh, she is finally, like, tries to succumb to his, uh, charm or whatever, falsely, you know. She's like, Dick is small and insignificant. Oh, yeah, which is pretty funny. Yeah, and then he gets, uh, he escapes so, or whatever. Yeah, Dick steals a spaceship or a little, just a ship out of the, out of the castle and then just fucking goes and crash lands it out in the desert. Where he meets and then the he bird runs people. into the bird people. Yeah, <laughs> we said that in stereo, perfect timing. <laughs> and that, you know, clearly, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, it's always sunny in Philadelphia." Stole this, right? Those bastards. Oh yeah, we're birds of war. Oh. It's basically the same costume. I mean, you could cosplay as both of those, and some people might know that it's mom and dad save the world, but most people are gonna think. Your cosplaying is it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. And then I love how Dick's asking him a question. He's like, so are there birds this size on your planet? And they're like, no. And so he's like, so how do they just not know that it's just you guys with bird masks on? And they all look like their fucking minds are blown. Because they keep talking about how this planet's just full of idiots. And they're stupid. Yeah. And they call him Great Dick at that point. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, they, they're so happy to have a, a smart, fearless leader that knows their dad, and like, oh, we're going to have a feast tonight, and so... This part I remember very much from being a kid. Yeah, because they have this, uh, you know, they have this disgusting mushroom that they've smoked or whatever. Or Hot what spiced lub lub. Yep. And it just looks so gross, like, when they rip off a piece and like, oh, you're the ceremonial, like, you need to eat this, and so he... He eats it and, like, chokes it down and smiles, and, you know, you can tell he's just disgusted by it. It just does not look appetizing at all. Yeah, and it's um really fucking gross looking, but, it, it, like, this is where I, again, get those Mario Brothers vibes because, like, the stickiness and shit reminds me of kind of, like, the weird fungus and shit that's in Mario Brothers, so... Yeah, that weird slimy look, you know, in movies a lot of time when you have monster and creature effects, they use that slime just to make it look like it's actually alive, because otherwise things just look, things don't necessarily look living or organic if they're right. too dried or just painted, you know, so. Like, Same thing with the Independence Day when they're slicing the motherfucker open. Looks like it's yeah, covering like that if, if that's, same type of yeah, slime. Yes, yeah, like slime mucus, yeah, if that thing wasn't covered, you know, it wouldn't look right, so. That's great. Actual physical contact. But, uh, so, so then, then it goes he, to, yeah, Spango's back there. And he, uh... Yep, using the love potion on Marge. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so, at this point in time in the movie, if you're, like, paying any attention at all, fucking Spango's constantly changing his looks. Like, different eyebrows, different hair pieces, different costumes. 
So yeah. at this point in time, he just fucking looks like Elvis. Like uh, yeah, the he's big like old... asking the the twin guys, "Should I wear this? Oh, should I wear this?" And it's like, uh, "Mutton chops or no mutton chops?" And the guy's like, first guy's like, "Mutton chops," and he's like, "Hmm," and then he's like, mm, "No, I don't like it." Shoot yourself in the head, and the guy fucking shoots himself in the head. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And the other guy, he asks him, he's like, uh, mutton chops or no mutton chops? And he's like, hmm, uh, mutton chops? And then John Lovitz just looks at him like, are you stupid? And the guy just, yeah. bef- he like puts his hand up like, no, wait, I got this. And he just shoots himself in the head. Yeah, that's, uh, some of that's way over the top there. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. So then you cut, you cut back towards the desert, right? And the way some of these scenes look, and it's probably just because some of the cameras, directors of photography, and then effects houses at the time, but there's some things that just vaguely kind of reminded me of the uh, Flintstones movie. You know, just the <laughs> desert setting with, like, the weird basic set pieces. Just at a glance. Not nearly as much as it had the Dr. Seuss vibes for me. Um, yeah, I can see that. That was just a note I took on there, because that was like, oh, that seems... Like, kind of vaguely familiar to this. You're talking about the light grenade scene, right? Where they're all out there and they're kind of... Yep. Um, the guards are like... Uh, basically, they explain that a light grenade is a grenade that if you throw it... You pull the pin and you throw it. Somebody, when they pick it up, they disappear. They're disintegrated. And they're like, why the yes. fuck would anyone pick it up then? And they show it to them and it says, pick me up on it. Yeah. And so... Yep, and they keep keep doing it like you see like three guys do it and they all just like fucking go up one after the other and be like what what happened to him huh right and then by the end there's just two of them left and there's just everybody else's pile of uniforms sitting by the fucking grenade yeah and they call like we're gonna need some reinforcements out here <laughs> right that was actually so pretty it, fucking funny yeah that that's actually one of the better like comedic scenes in there like the best like Oh, okay, you know, kind of like stupid humor, but still, like, entertaining to watch. Felt very space ballsy. Yes, definitely. You know, you could tell the writers, you can see, like, kind of where the writers' influence were, maybe the producers' influence was coming from for some some of this stuff, so. Yeah. But then, then they, they do, do the, the Trojan horse. Yep. Which is pretty awesome, like, but they do it as a giant Todd statue, like, out of wood. Yeah. And... You know, he's like, well, maybe they're gonna, maybe they're gonna sabotage me, or, you know, you know, he kind of knows it's a Trojan horse. Right. Yet, they still talk him into letting it in, and then when they're getting in their inside and they're going to talk about an attack, they realize they fucking glued the trap door shut, <laughs> so they're all fucking stuck in there. They're like, oh yeah, no yeah. one will get in here. Because <laughs> they're so fucking the purpose. dumb. Yeah. So, uh, then they, uh, they're singing the whole fucking wedding theme song I noticed, which was hilarious. The Todd, 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 Todd. And then they fucking, you know, they eventually break out where they tip the Trojan horse over. They get it tipped over to break apart. And then Dick has a sword fight with Spango. But he, uh,. Notice the size of their swords. Did you notice the size of their swords in this fight? Yeah, so one of them has a much larger sword than the other one. Uh, seems like another obvious dick reference. And, uh... Eventually Spango's kicked into the garbage chute, basically. And kind of dick saves the day. Yeah, so he saves the day. So, is there kind of... In there fighting through that, though, I love how he stabs his own... You know, I love how Todd stabs the Death Star Ray. 
right? As he's fighting these guys, and like, first of all, you have no idea whether this thing works at all or not. Yet he stabs his own machine and keeps going on like he didn't just ruin it. You're like, uh, what the hell? Yeah, so um, they defeat them and whatever, and then one of the people there is like, well, stay with us, good dick and Marge. And I'm like, huh, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Eh, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> no, I just, uh, that was a line. And then um, when they're back on the planet, they're watching from, you know, their rooftop. They're drinking wine and having a romantic time or whatever. And uh, he starts kissing her or whatever. And it's kind of, the camera pans away up to the stars. And uh, I think the last line she says is, uh, oh, dick. We really shouldn't. Oh, Earth Dick. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what I wrote down at the last line is, oh, Earth Dick. That's just, she keeps calling him that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We're on the same wavelength there for that. So one of the other things that um, was funny, they throw him down the trash compactor, right? And, like, how many sci-fi movies, like, uh, clearly a Star Wars reference, right? Yeah, throw him down the trash compactor. Right. So kind of silly there, but... Uh, that's Mom and Dad Save the World. So if you want to see a really silly movie where Ferris Bueller's principal saves the world from John Lovitz, <laughs> check it out. I can't guarantee yeah. you'll get that time back in your life, but it might inspire you to make your own Dr. Seuss space spoof nonsensical trash movie someday. So I feel like yeah. a lot of people out there could make this movie. For, like, a minimal budget. Like, I feel like this could be an indie film today. Let's make a sequel. That'd be hilarious. Well, it's not. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I'll get John Lovitz. He'll do it. And I'll reap all the benefits. And I'll just put... I'll just cast a bunch of new people in it. For example, uh... Polly Shore. Perhaps Andy Dick. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. This is top five. Top five. Hey, top it's five, the top five. Top five. All right, what do you got this week for top five? This week is disaster movies. So we really didn't get into too much on what qualifies as a disaster movie, and apparently we have found out that the internet has fucking strong opinions about what they qualify as a disaster movie. Now, I went pretty basic, maybe because I'm not a smart man, Janae, but I do know what love is. And just kind of went with more natural-type disaster stuff when I was thinking disaster movie. But, you know, you can debate us online. But uh, don't bring a water pistol to a nuclear war, is all I'm going to say. And uh, we'll jump into our top five disaster movies. What's your number five, Alec? Number five for me is going to be one of many disaster movies that has a counterpart. And by counterpart, I mean a movie that came out almost either in the same year or in a year within a year's time that is uh, very similar in plot. Um, well, the number five could either be, for me, Deep Impact or Armageddon. I, however, chose Deep Impact for number five. Nice. I would, uh, I would say that that's on my list, but I'll wait to save that till when I get to it. 
Why Deep so, Impact, though, over Armageddon? What makes that one more memorable to you? Well, see, Deep Impact, I, I'm big into Elijah Wood. He's a good actor. He's good in stuff. So he's he's young in that, but he's still good. Then you have um, the overall plot of this movie is more realistic and just more enjoyable than Armageddon. And it's like, I really like Bruce Willis. I like Steve Buscemi. Ben Affleck's okay. <laughs> There's a couple other people in that that are good, um, but Deep Impact's just a better movie. Um, it's more realistic and shit. Armageddon's just kind of like, all right, maybe if this took place in the future, some of this would make sense or something, but there's just too much unbelievable, boring shit. Like, if I'm not going to talk about Armageddon a whole bunch, because that would make this top five list more like a bottom five, but that's my number five, is Deep Impact, so. All right, my number five is The Perfect Storm with good old Mark Wahlberg, based on a true story where these assholes get caught out in this, like, basically, like, once-in-a-lifetime storm, or, like, where it's all coming together, and, you John know... John C. Riley, George Clooney. Yep. They're all just assumed dead. So, uh, you know, that yeah. was, like, a... It was pretty well done. You know, how do you make a movie about that and, like, keep it fairly interesting, right? It's It's got some entertaining dialogue. It's... You know, they do a good job of making it entertaining to, like, sit along and watch. So I have that one on there. So I, I enjoyed that. Number five. Number so four. I have a movie that is more of a disaster spoof, but it still qualifies because of that. I have Airplane at number four. Because Airplane is one of my top movies of all time. It'd probably be in my top at least 30 and i mean that's saying something um but as a disaster movie it's still pretty like it follows and hits all the major beats if it wasn't a comedy it would still work as a movie but that's because it's based on uh airport and airport 1975 which are other disaster movies but airplane number four nice that's funny. I didn't realize you loved that movie that much, but uh, I enjoy it as well. I just don't rewatch that one as often. So, but I definitely see the appeal to that. Yeah. What do you so got? My number four is a movie that has Tom Holland in it. Ewan McGregor, Naomi Watts. This one's called The Impossible, and it's basically about a survivors of a tsunami in 2004 that happened the day after Christmas. And um, I remember seeing that movie in theaters and just being like, you know, the fact that this is based on a true story and a lot of it was fairly accurate was just like, you know, mind-blowing, like the shit that those people survived and like went through there. Pretty well done, pretty well um, shot. You know, it was believable. So, yeah, you know, that was uh, that was number four. That's one I haven't seen, but... My number three is one uh, you haven't seen, so number three for me is Melancholia, which is uh, directed by Lars von Trier, stars Kirsten Dunst, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kirsten Dunst. Yep, um, and Charlotte Gainsbourg. And um, it's about a rogue planet that is colliding with Earth. It's not essentially about that. That's more like the secondary plot. The main plot is that 
Kirsten Dunst is kind of she's getting married for the first half of the movie and um she's kind of depressed and doesn't actually necessarily want to get married and there's a bunch of conflicts and issues but it's a very artsy movie imagine like I don't know. For you, I would say the so closest thing I could think of it would be, uh, you know, like if Sofia Coppola directed a disaster movie. It's pretty somber and depressing. Yeah, which but eventually is at the end of the movie, in that. a rogue planet collides with Earth. So nice. All right. Well, my number, number three, three was deep. Makes sense. Yeah, Armageddon's way overrated, man. Some of the sci-fi scenes, like, where they're on the asteroid and they're, like, trying to drill it like it's an oil rig and stuff was just Fucking obnoxiously <laughs> over the top. Yeah, it was just like, uh, whatever. None of these guys go up there, like, in reality, they would have sent actual NASA engineers with people in that industry, right? And more than likely, they would have cross-trained functionally stuff or something like that, so. Have you ever you know, listened to, to that? the director's commentary of Armageddon, you should find clips of it on YouTube because it's basically just a bunch of Ben Affleck talking shit on it. So it's hilarious. That's amazing. I'll have to check that out then because that alone just sounds worth it. Yeah, no, but <laughs> Deep Impact, like uh, Morgan Freeman is the president, Elijah Wood, mm -hmm. just a much better cast in my opinion, right? Yeah. Better performances by the cast, I should say, right? You know, because you you know you look at Armageddon, and you're like, oh yeah, on paper that should be the way better movie, right? Uh, you know, all these people in there, but really, what it comes down to is that Deep Impact just feels more realistic. Yeah. And uh, and actually, that one came out before Armageddon too, so that was like a month ahead of Armageddon, so that was when they were doing some like real heavy competition. Yeah. Well, number two. I've got Independence Day. And this uh, is possibly a controversial opinion because it's aliens, but it's so it's not technically a natural disaster or anything. But arguably, Melancholia being a rogue planet, I mean, that's sci fi. Um, Deep Impact is sci fi, Armageddon sci fi, you know, um, everything's sci fi to some degree. I put it on here because it's a large-scale disaster. Um, I love that movie. There's, it has its issues, <laughs> believe me. But half of that is just charm for it now. So oh, yeah. that's my number two. Yeah, I love Independence Day. Classic movie. I didn't put that on there just because I was, like I said, I was thinking more natural disaster, but we didn't really understand the world of disaster movie controversy. Until we started talking disaster movies and realized there was controversy. Yeah. But uh, Independence Day, man, in junior high, I had this Independence Day shirt, and uh, my friend Joel had the same one, and we'd fucking wear those shirts, like, all the fucking time. Like, I wore that <laughs> thing out. But mine was slightly cooler than his, because on the back it said, Earth, take a good look, it might be your last. And then on the front was just, like, the poster art. So, yeah, I pretty that. badass out there. So, I guess, uh, I guess when you look back and you're like, yeah, I've been wearing pop culture shirts and movie shirts and shit for as fucking long as I can remember. So some shit doesn't change. <clears throat> yeah. What do you got for number so, two? So my number two <clears throat> is the James Bond movie about volcanoes called Dante's Peak. And I say James Bond because uh, 
Pierce Brosnan did this right around the time he started getting into his Bond role. Yep, you got Linda Hamilton. Yep, no, so I picked that one. I just thought that one, um, you know, there's things about that one. I was thinking between that movie and obviously Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones, right? Again, similar studio, studios competing for a similar concept around a similar time frame. And yeah. there's things in Dante's Peak that just stay with me more. And I, you know, going back and looking at it, you know, there's a little bit more of a romantic, like, love story and, like, human connection going on in this one that, like, underplays it. And, you know, as a kid, I never cared about any of that. But, like, you know, looking back on it now, okay, you, you see some of that. But some of the scenes of the ash and everything, like, coming down on people was fascinating to me. And I remember you know, like seeing those scenes in there and they talked about how they had um newspaper that they ground up and basically like filled everywhere to make it look like the ash, you know, and it, and it looked very believable. You know, some of the practical effects in that movie look amazing. And then you look at volcano and it's very much just action driven and, um, very heavy on the CGI and some of those stuff. It's not quite as practical in a lot of effects. Um, had they done some more practical effects, it probably would have been a much better movie. But that's why I chose Dante's Peak. I thought visually it was better. The story's a little bit better. I'm not saying I don't like Volcano by any means, but, you know, you swap one for the other, and I chose Dante's Peak on that one. But, uh... Yeah. What's your number one? I'm gonna assume that my, number, my one number one is also your number one, which is the 1996 classic Bill Paxton Helen Hunt Vehicle Twister. Because Twister rules. Fuck. How did you know? And uh, it's like we grew up watching that movie together or something. Right. It's so weird. But uh, yeah, Twister. Fucking love Twister. I watch Which it all the funny, time still. Because I remember the day we saw that. I actually remember like... seeing Twister in theaters also. That's one of the first movies I remember seeing in theaters. Yeah, so um, we went over to the. Um, Shawnee Mission, it was the West Glen Dickinson yeah. Theaters at the time, but it's now uh, it's now a B&B Theaters, and actually my buddy Josh lives pretty close over there, so when I go catch movies with Josh, uh, I go over there, and hey, actually, I'll give him a shout-out, because it's his and his wife's seventh anniversary today, so happy anniversary, you two love birds. Nice. But no, that's the theater we saw that at, so I remember our parents picking us up from school, and then they're like, oh yeah, we're going to a movie, so like they picked us up, like early because normally we'd ride the bus home and so the fact that they like called us out like a few minutes before school let out was kind of weird i was like oh what's going on they yeah. picked us all up and then we went over and saw this movie and love it so some of the yep. other things that really make it stand out to me right when you look at the science and things involved in that movie it's very the movie was the written, current times yeah but the movie is written by michael crichton and his wife so Michael Crichton, obviously, is a great, prolific author, had a lot of stuff in there, right? He was one of the yeah. first authors I started reading a lot of stuff as as a kid, right? Starting with Jurassic Park and, yeah. you know, then Lost World coming out. So the fact that he did that was like, oh, okay. So that explains why, because he's known for doing a lot of research on things, you know, before he writes it. So he tries to blend that line between reality and you know, what's possible or what's like on the edge of cutting edge technology there. So essentially that's why with Twister, 
in concept, it's it's not a terrible idea. You know, there's nothing in that movie like trying to put sensors into a tornado that's like that wouldn't work because technically in theory, you probably could get data out of that that you wouldn't be able to get just by observing from elsewhere. So makes a lot of sense. And obviously, man, that movie just growing up in Tornado Alley, hearing tornado sirens, seeing tornadoes on the news, all that kind of stuff just being out here that, you know, some people get hurricanes, you know, I'm so some people get earthquakes, but I mean, being in Tornado Alley, like this is just number one for that reason, right? It just, it's relatable. Yep. I love, uh, I mean, you got Philip Seymour Hoffman and you have the legendary from the Lost Boys, Jamie Gertz. Yes. and you Which have... I didn't realize until fucking like a week ago that that was her. It's fucking Star from the yeah. Lost Boys. She yeah, plays told me that. Bill's new fiance. Like, uh, mine was blown because she doesn't have a country accent and... Uh, the Lost Boys. Lost Not Boys. that she actually gets a lot of dialogue by any means, but... But um, yeah, you haven't then, seen it probably, but she's also in Less Than Zero with uh, Andrew McCarthy and Robert Downey Jr. and James Spader. I haven't, but I might have to check that out. So the other thing about uh, that is uh, obviously um, Ferris Bueller's best friend, Cameron's in this movie. So, you know, the supporting oh, yeah. cast really made this movie well. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman in this movie, you see what he went on to become, but you just see like how dynamic he is as an actor because of this. Like, right in this movie, he's just like the over the top enthusiastic guy. Yep. And it's crazy to go back and like see his film career to see what he progressed and did for other roles. Like seeing like, cause that's the first movie I remember seeing him in. And like, there could be others, but I mean, for me, like it's the first one I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wasn't uh, like, Oh, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was like, Oh, that's the dude from Twister. This is probably Bill Paxton's best role as well, and also, um, what was I just thinking of? Oh yeah, Carrie Elways, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Saw. I am the only Robin Hood with a real English accent. <laughs> so that's the top five this week, ladies and gentlemen. So what are your top five disaster movies? I said happy anniversary, right? Hap, 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 happy anniversary to Joss and Jess. But, you know who else had an anniversary? Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. May 9th, 1980. You're at the movie theater. What are you seeing? You're seeing, um, I don't know, what's out? Oh, yeah, this, this Friday the 13th movie looks pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Maybe I'll go check that out. Yeah, so let's check it out. So for our anniversary, that's uh, the anniversary movie that we found for this week, and... For good reason, right? That's a classic slasher flick. Yeah. This movie just turned 40, so, uh, you know, it's looking at its gray hairs going, God damn it, this is bullshit. Uh, movie starts out 1958, and then it uh, it quickly shows a whole bunch of uh, different little things. There's a... It's clearly one of those movies that in the late 70s and the early 80s where they started using the killer's point of view a lot. 
Now, they had done this a couple times all the way back to the 60s in various different movies. But um, it's done a lot in this one, and it's effective because it's dark, it's spooky. Um, it works well, too, because right, this is like the slasher film, and you look at what slasher film has become now versus where it started at, right? So you can clearly see like the Hitchcock vibe that some of this is going for, um, especially in some of the film score, not the the classic, you know, not that whole thing, but the the normal, the actual score piece had some vibes that really reminded of, of the movie Psycho. Oh and, yes, you know, and then the perspectives like there's a lot of things in the kill scenes in this definitely reminded me of that right where exactly because this movie is more of a mystery movie than any other Friday the 13th. They're all, they're supernaturals. This is the only one that is not supernatural until the very end, arguably. But this yeah, movie exactly. has no supernatural elements to it for the first hunk of the movie. You have no idea who's killing anyone. It's nope, just... Nope, and they do, they do even do a good job in there, right? They're, some of the things I've noticed that I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to, but... So, you know, you see this Jeep driving down well... Yeah. Um, Mrs. Voorhees drives a Jeep that's almost identical to the camp owner's Jeep, right? Because you see him yeah. driving around town and then you're like, oh, is it the camp owner that's out here killing his yeah. own kids, right? You know, so they do some things to throw you off a little bit in there that you're like, oh, okay. So it's it's pretty clever in that regard. Um, you know, Kevin Bacon's in there. Um, yeah. Definitely not his, his, you know, just like a lot of people. A lot of people got started in slasher films, right? So it's not necessarily their most iconic performance, but it's definitely you see why they got cast and that they had the potential there compared to some of the co-stars in there. Yep. And it's funny because that, um, the, there's a woman hitchhiking as one of the first victims here, you know, after the yep. original, initial ones at the intro, and uh, she hitchhikes with somebody in a Jeep. And uh, there's banjo music playing in the fucking Jeep. And it's very creepy and, like, unsettling-style banjo music. It's like... Very much like, oh, you're about to get hacked apart in the woods. But it's also got that, like, banjo-y classic music style that was used in a lot of 70s action movies, right? You know? Oh, right. Like, yeah, you would hear this in Smokey and the Bandit or something. Or Dukes, yeah, of, Dukes Hazard. of Hazards. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's just, like, just so cheesy. And you're like, oh, okay, I get that. But for the time, the mu- some of that music dates this, but the I score still think it worked, actually- though, because it made it unsettling. Oh, yeah, exactly, right? Nowadays, if you'd done that, they would not have used that music in that scene. It would have been more the traditional eerie music score. So a lot of these characters, I gave uh, nicknames also. So the, nice. the the guy who runs the camp or whatever, driving around in the Jeep, the first nickname I gave him was Mustache Man, because he has one hell of a mustache. And as a fellow mustachian, I appreciate his facial hair. Uh, until later on when he is shirtless, wearing a bandana around his neck in short shorts that are jeans, and he's hitting on uh, the new camp counselors. And then I nicknamed him Bandana Creep. And yeah, also I Biden. Say that. <laughs> um, yeah, Biden. Biden Trump. Yeah, he's... <laughs> and then <laughs> I nicknamed him sense. Gas-Powered Jeep Guy because uh, he's got a gas-powered Jeep and he can drop her back at the visitor center. Exactly. And uh, then another guy comes out, and his name is Frodo, because he is very short, and he's fucking hairy as shit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's hilarious. You called him Frodo. I haven't yeah, ever seen those movies, all my notes. by the way. Guilty confession. 
You said you haven't seen them? I've never seen the Lord of the Rings movies, but that's safe for another day. Yeah, they're all right. So, there's only one trilogy, my friend. Everything I need to know, and I've pissed people off by that. I'm like, everything I need to know about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I learned in Clerks 2. <laughs> yeah. And some people really get triggered by that. And I'm like, I'm just kidding, people. I, I haven't seen those. I don't I don't know. But So when I started doing some research while I was watching this, right, um, and taking notes, I looked up the movie writer. To, I wanted to see some things. And he was really, really against Michael Myers. Or not Mike. I'm losing my fucking mind here. Jason Voorhees um, as actually being the killer in the sequels and stuff like he was against that and as he wanted nothing to do with those like i don't think he likes being associated with it even though he's getting residuals and getting payouts for character creation right um he also wrote for a lot of soap operas like that was one of his big things that you know he's a soap opera writer so i find that kind of interesting but with the teenagers and the drama and all that kind of stuff it kind of makes sense that you know that's that's where his writing roots went um interesting though that he wrote such an iconic movie you know, that despond all this, but like his version of Friday the 13th is here. And, you know, obviously they carry over some of the mother elements, you know, talking to him and stuff, uh, in, in the later movies. But the other things so. that really made this like the Hitchcock vibe to me was when the mom was talking for dead Jason Voorhees. Right. And she'd use the little kid's voice. It, it was like the reversal of psycho, right. Almost like, okay, so instead of, you know, the kid being the mom, the mom's being the kid. So there's some very similar trajectories, like rewatching this, because I hadn't seen the original in a while. You know, you typically watch the ones where Jason's on the hockey mask. You know, that's that's the easy stuff to see. But you watch this, and I'm like, yeah, this is very, very heavily inspired by Psycho, and, and it's actually really well done. Yeah, so I'm going to try to plow through some more of these notes I have written down just about funny or interesting things here like uh when she the hitchhiker's picked up by the jeep she eventually does a badass front flip out of the jeep <laughs> and fucking then just fucking falls and rolls all over the place um she's being followed into the woods and i, I swear to god the cameraman was either drunk or he had a limp um and she was limping so i was like maybe he's just trying to follow her <laughs> i don't know what's happening um and then frodo when he when they're later hanging out on the water, it looks like goddamn Frodo Frodo must have a hairy ass because he has so much back hair protruding from his fucking shorts. It's ridiculous. And then uh, one of them's fake fake drowning, or whatever. And Kevin Bacon, like you know, he's he goes out there to dive and save him with one of the girls, and the girl dives in, and you can clearly see Kevin belly flop. And you can hear the slap even. Oh, yeah. That's fucking hilarious. And then the whole snake scene should have just been cut. It was retarded. Yeah, there's some things in there. Like, So one of the other scenes that really stood out to me is like when the kids are out on the deck screwing around, right? And you see, you know, the the killer like perspective of them like stalking them from the woods. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, they just show enough to, you know, you know, there's like this omnipresent threat that's going on in the background you're like okay what is all this right you don't really know what it is and so i thought that was pretty fun but yeah you got some good notes on what's going on there the other thing i found funny you know this is just a fairly low budget movie originally right you know they didn't spend a lot on it didn't need to and like you just see like what you really see in real life for lake water 
right. It's dirty. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like super clean. Like in some of the other Friday the 13th movies, you know, like the water looks cleaner. You know, you get this like vibe that it's like a much more pleasant lake and that, oh yeah, people would want to be out on this lake. So it's like a real travesty that people aren't. But in this one, you're just like, seems like no one gives a shit that they're not out on that lake. Right. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there. At one point, they're playing Strip Monopoly. There's a lot of panty prancing around in this movie, as I like to call it. Yeah, a lot of titillation Um, going on, just trying to, you know, kind of get some of those vibes in there. Yeah, the girl who initiates the Strip Monopoly, I've nicknamed her the Let's Have a Three-Way Girl. Because clearly she's like, let's have it, let's get it on, let's do it. I'm ready for all the shenanigans at camp. Yeah, I mean, they're young, they're in their prime, whatever. I mean, we were all... No, it's it's just funny. Young people once, and now we're not young, old people. Young, young... I'm still in my 20s, grasping I'm on. I'm young at heart. Younger than any of these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, because I had a note. Randomly, while we're ending uh, this kind of segment here, I'm going to go back... Because I don't know where it's written here. All right. The director of Twister, Jean de Bont. Mm -hmm. I guess Jean de Bont. I don't know how you say it. But he uh, also, you know, was the director of Speed. I don't know if you know that. Yes, he was. Um, He was also a cinematographer for years before that on uh, Cujo, Die Hard, and Flatliners. And as well as being a producer on SLC Punk. Oh, no shit. Which no I was idea. like, that's a little random in there, but cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, so jump back into Friday the 13th here, so. Basically, I said, uh, you know, like one of the camp counselors gets her throat slit while Kevin is laying his bacon. Yeah. Uh, We'll just call Kevin Bacon Kevin Bacon, because, like, none of these characters, like, have names that, like, really stood out to me, right? There wasn't a lot of Well, I mean, if I said Dorothy Hamill, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, no. That's the chick with the shorter hair. Okay. Well, who has the same haircut as Kevin Bacon, actually? There's also another note I had. Yeah, and so some of the kills in this movie were, you know, they're not as graphic as they are now, but they're done well enough that, you know, they kind of got the point across. So, yeah. um, you know, and like I said, a lot of the Hitchcock-style vibes of how people were killed and, and the way those kill scenes looked, right? They weren't quite as insane as they are now, even in, like, some of the remakes and reboots of some of this stuff, so. Yeah, this is one that... um Obviously, when you think of big horror icons, growing up, we what we had in the 90s was what had just happened and was still happening, which was mainly Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you know, there was Child's Play still happening, Leprechaun, and Hellraiser, pretty much, with the late 80s to early 90s kind of things. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you look, I mean, even Halloween was still going and stopped and rebooted a thousand times or whatever, but you go back far enough... You could argue Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw, earlier than that, there's some slasher elements in movies and stuff. But once you get to Halloween, and, like, really Black Christmas, I guess, is more more of the first kind of true slasher like that. 
or Texas Chainsaw. I don't know how you look at it. I'm not trying to say one is definitively one, but then you have this coming around 1980, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't come out till what, 84? Yeah. So you're looking at the, you're looking at the start of his genre and and really where people are starting to go from thrillers and horror elements to mixing in more than just one or the other. Right. And, um, you know, obviously then the whole eighties, like had all the B movies too, like some of the really low grade stuff. Um, but it's campy. Some of it's campy. Some of it's amazing. You know, then you see like the old evil dead movies and things like that. So you see such a good variety back then, but for the first movie being a non supernatural movie for an entire series, it basically becomes obnoxiously supernatural. Right. You almost. I mean, wanna, yes. Look at Jason wanna, X. <laughs> yeah, you almost just want to remove the first movie from this series, right? And even the reboot kind of went that route. They're like, yeah, okay, we're gonna ignore, you know, the mother thing, right? Which, whatever, that's fine. Yeah, they did have him wear a bag, like in the second movie, for like the first twenty or thirty, forty minutes or something like that, and then he eventually finds the hockey mask. So they were kind of trying to cover all that ground in one quick segment yeah and and, you know and they they do that to kind of cover there but when you look at jason Voorhees, as we know him as the grown-up killer which never made any sense that like how would this thing grow up wouldn't it be like a a monster child that lit you know that came and killed him at the age he died right if it's a zombie like how does i mean you want to talk about that let's talk about power rangers what is that power rangers turbo maybe or the kid ranger there was one of them who was a kid he was literally like a 12 year old or something and then he transformed and he was uh not a kid (laughs) yeah bullshit no but i mean one of those things that even bothered me as a kid i was like i don't get this shit it's not fair why does he get to be a power ranger fuck him well once you realize like how they made all the all the footage they use from (laughs) right the japanese shows you're like okay that makes all that all makes sense now but um, yeah. Yeah, looking at that, right? So this is definitely probably my favorite Friday the 13th movie. Hands down is the original. Now, I haven't watched these as, as many times as I've seen, like, say, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Which, goddamn, those those movies used to terrify me as a kid, man. But we'll, we'll talk about that on another time. We'll do a segment or something. We'll talk about the shit that scared us as kids. I can talk Nightmare on Elm Street, and you can talk... Rumpelstiltskin and, and Child's Play. Rumpelstiltskin. I was hoping you remembered. Well, I have it on DVD. We're going to have to cover that in the whole segment, because I don't think anybody's even fucking heard of that movie. Oh, that Let alone rated glorious. it before. So, that's uh, that's Friday the 13th. So, happy anniversary, Friday the 13th. Yep. What's your favorite Friday the 13th? Um, I... Me, I'm going to say, here's the thing. The first, you want to know the first Friday the 13th I saw is part eight. Jason takes Manhattan. Nice. <laughs> and he's really just like on a small, almost, it, it seems kind of like a very small cruise ship is what he's on in the first like 45 minutes to an hour of the movie. And he's only in Manhattan for the ending of it. But it has some really hilarious shit in it like some of my top Jason moments now. So it'd probably be my favorite just because of nostalgia, because I associate it way more with comedy 
as opposed to straight horror. But that's my favorite genre anyway, is anything that's funny but also scary. So at one point he punches a guy's head off of his fucking body. He just, Jason punches the guy and his head flies off his body and goes flying like a goddamn football. Yeah, that's awesome that you mentioned that because a lot of those movies, you know, the later on they started, they started getting, you know, just more goofy, right? You just look at Freddy Krueger, right? You know, he went from being like this scary villain in the first movie and then, you know, started with the one-liners. And by the time you get to um, Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, like he's just fucking full of one-liners. And yeah, same solid. thing with Freddy versus Jason, <laughs> which is actually a pretty good, pretty good movie. And like just the fact that it's obnoxiously over the top, it's campy as hell, but it's just like fun, you know? Oh yeah, that's a definitely an underrated movie. I think it's doesn't have to take itself self too seriously. No, they it's, make it um, work just enough that like, oh yeah, Freddy's been disappeared because of that. Like you know they. They wrote the basic story well enough that you're like, okay, that's that's entertaining. So definitely not as good as the first one, but yeah. if you're going to watch anything with the first one, I'd say watch Hitchcock's Psycho, not the, uh, not the remake, which is an interesting concept for a movie, a shot-by-shot remake. But watch the original Psycho and then watch Friday the 13th. And let me know if you see the similarities, if you're feeling that Hitchcock vibe, if you're feeling you know, the way those movies kind of tie up together and you know, just uh, let us know what you think. We will be back next week. See you later. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. These are my dinner guests, the Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests, Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests, the Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests, Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers, Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers, Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers.